0: Great leaders have to be great teachers. So every leader today needs to be a great teacher. We have to understand the level of understanding of each individual and give them the right support to bring them up to to mark, right? We need to bring them to the right place with the right instruction, with the right guidance. And this is going to address the skills gap that many places are experiencing, right? Or the talent crunch.
1: How do you get 10,000 people to take a step to the left? What's behind the relentless mindset of a world champion? Why do teams of exceptional talent fail? How do you manage the pressure to perform? These are some the of the curious questions We will attempt to answer as we bring you world leaders, curious minds, exceptional talent, successful CEOs and incredible human beings who know how to inspire great leaders and are inspiring great leaders themselves. I am Craig Johns, high performance leadership expert, international speaker and CEO of Speakers Institute, corporate and world sport coach. This is The Inspiring Great Leaders Podcast, where the ordinary don't belong. Welcome to the Inspiring Great Leaders Podcast. Our guest today is a trailblazer in the art of cultivating agile leaders who can navigate the intricacies of business. She is a best-selling author of Eight Paradoxes of Leadership Agility and soon to be released, Leaders People Love. She's an Agile Leadership Coach and an International Keynote Speaker. Our guest has been awarded the prestigious titles of Woman superachiever and one of the top 101 Global Coaching Leaders at the 28th World HRD Congress. This inspiring great leader completed Computer Engineering and a Postgraduate Diploma in Education at the Nanyang Technological University of Singapore. She is the genius talent behind Ascent's Agile Leaders, an official Forbes coach, is council member, and LinkedIn top voice, company culture, Singapore. I had the privilege of bringing you a remarkable leader who is fascinated by agile leadership, loves helping people find calm in the face of storm, and inspires people through storytelling. Chin Chin Yo. Chin Chin, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you for having me. So good to be here, Craig.
1: Ah, Good fun. All right, so we've met a few times and, and worked together as well. But I'm uh, really curious. I actually don't know this. Where did you grow up and what was the big dream when you were running around the playground?
0: Wow. <laughs> I'm a true blue Singaporean. So there's a term that I always use to describe myself, the glocal coach. Why I say glocal, it's a made up word, glocal, made up of global and local. So while I coach internationally, I'm a true true blue Singaporean. I'm very good in my Singlish. I shall demonstrate one day when we meet in Singapore. But when <laughs> I was running around in the playground in my younger days, honestly, as an Asian woman growing up, I, I don't think there was much space for any dreams at all. That's, that's really truth be told. It was only when I became an, an adult that I discovered my passion in developing people and elevating leadership all around the world. So it was a, passion that i found later on in life
1: all right interesting there let's go back a little bit here so you're saying you know as as a young girl in singapore you didn't really have dreams you know can you explain that a little bit more for those who may not Mm. understand
0: yeah okay in a traditional chinese family girls will always take a slightly lower place compared to the boys i was fortunate in a way my family three girls right so all of us were of equal status so to speak the only mission at that time was to do well in your studies. Do well in your studies, get married, have children, and that's it. So there's not much of a aspiration I can say, you know, in my younger days.
1: So... What did you enjoy studying at school then? You know, obviously you've got to to study hard and get good grades. You know, was it something that was a bit of a chore or or were you really fascinated by some aspects of school?
0: Uh, My favorite subject was biology. I enjoy figuring things out, uh, understanding how all the interconnected systems worked together. I think later on when I discovered my Clifton strengths, I realized that was probably part of connectedness because how you can see a system within a larger system, so that was something really fascinating to me. I mm. was pretty good in my mathematics. I think being able able to do well in a subject made me motivated as well. Because really the goal at that time was to do well in your studies. Yeah. yeah.
1: Interesting. Would you describe yourself as more of a leader or follower through those formative years?
0: In the formative years, definitely a follower, I would say. Um, it is just from the setup of the larger culture. It is simply that way. But when I started working towards my young younger adulthood, then things started changing.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Uh, And for you, obviously making a choice going into, you you said you love biology, Uh, I know you studied computer engineering um, and also education. What drew you towards becoming a teacher and going into the world of education?
0: Mm. So I had quite a difficult um, industrial attachment period. I was working on one of the transport systems and that gave me an insight where I knew if I were to join any company I want to be able to told the truth mm. I think in the commercial business things like ethics honesty sometimes get challenged right depending on the situation so I was very clear I want to be in a place where I can be true to myself so I decided to join the teaching service which I believe then is an occupation that's very noble where you get to speak your truth and today even today I hold very dearly to, to this value of speaking the truth.
1: That's a good question. What is truth? <laughs> <laughs> well, truth is
0: subjective for sure. Truth is subjective. Truth must be helpful, I feel. Truth <laughs> must be helpful. I find in my interactions many times there's feedback that needs to be given but for fear of offending other people we don't give that and we see that in corporate all the time but... um Setting myself up in uh, as a trusted partner, as a coach now, and as a teacher before, it gave me that, uh, permission to be able to speak the truth for the benefit of the person.
1: Hmm. I love that. I love that. I've, you know, the education system in Singapore. Uh, did you see it shift much? You know, from when you were a child to yep. when you were teaching, and maybe even now as a yeah. as a parent. Well, what have you noticed in the way that the education has shifted in Singapore?
0: Yeah, it is a tremendous shift. In the past, people are so afraid of this uh, exercise called the streaming. So they at uh, maybe at P4, which is at 10 years old, and then at 12 years old, uh, children are being streamed into various, we uh, can big- big- streams, yeah, uh, basically based on ability level. Mm. And if you are a late bloomer, you will find it very difficult to succeed in society in future. Because at 10 or 12 years old, there's a cap put on you immediately. But now this has been lifted, which is a great thing. So my, my, three, my, my three children are still in Singapore schools, and I'm happy that they are there because of all these changes in the education system. That's one. Second one is the em- embracing a strengths-based education philosophy. So, in the past, students would be limited by their course. Uh, the subject that they get, they, that they get to uh, enroll in is limited by the course that they have been put into. But right now, it's based on aptitude. So, regardless of which stream you are in, you are able to aim for the subject at the highest possible level that your mm. potential can allow for. So, that's another one. And I think families-wise, the gender inequality is a lot better these days yeah yeah
1: so there's one thing there's one thing teaching you know students at school actually by the way were you teaching primary school high school middle school secondary 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 school
0: so 13 to 17 years old
1: Mm. there's one thing about teaching you know those secondary school kids especially you know, they, they, they feel like they know the truth.
0: <laughs> They're very <laughs>
1: outspoken. They'll call you out. If they don't yeah. like something, they will tell you pretty upfront. Yeah. Uh, to then shifting into a world, um, a corporate world, you know, where you're now starting to coach leaders and other people. How was that transition for you?
0: Definitely full of fear, a lot of imposter syndrome. I think the listeners would be able to relate with that uh imposter syndrome is so prevalent um but at that time, because I had a it's a okay it was a moment where my mortality was challenged. I wasn't sure if I would be alive the next moment, <laughs> and in that moment, I realized you know like your whole life would flash before your eyes, and you would realize that. Oh my God, I did not achieve anything, you know. There's nothing to cheer about. So, I did make a wish at that time that if I were to survive, I want to be courageous. Mm-hmm. As a kid, I was very timid. So, you are really seeing a different trend trend. Um, Because I was so timid in the past. I was so quiet. I was like the shadow. And now, I am a lot more courageous. So, despite having fear uh, about failing, of course, uh, I applied myself really finding the right process to learn the skills needed, to be open, to develop the humility to learn again and again, and to mm. ask the right questions. So that that was the journey. I met many benefactors along the journey as well who gave me a helping hand.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, everyone experiences imposter thoughts at different times. Uh, And imposter syndrome is obviously, you know, where those thoughts keep repeating themselves on a regular basis, uh, which then start to hinder us and hold us back. How were you able to overcome that kind of imposter syndrome or those regular imposter thoughts that you were were facing at that time?
0: Um, At the beginning, I think it was purely suppression. It's like you don't even dare to look at it. So if you have an imposter thought, just take it. Shove it into a box and put it into the darkest corner of your mind. It was only after two years or so when I started getting success and recognition from industry partners or even from my own clients, given that they always return for for more coaching, I began to challenge that perception. I mean, the thought is I'm not good enough, but given the evidence, the real hard evidence... If I look at it, it doesn't match up, right? So, there was a time I started believing that I could do it. So, I think the way to overcome it then is to do it first. Then use the evidence to prove to yourself. Um, Of course, there, there were failures. I mean, so, so to speak. I mean, minor, minor ones. But you know, for people who have imposter thoughts, every mistake is amplified many, many mm. times. So... In the earlier days, when I do lose business or I have clients who are not so satisfied, I always ask myself, okay, what can I learn from this? So, having the learner's mindset is very important and it helps. It helps because learner is my number two strength in, in my strengths profile.
1: <laughs> ah, so good very... for me. <laughs> I, I like that. This is good. Now, obviously, you've focused a lot here on leadership over the last a few years, you had a couple of books around leadership. Was there an instance where you felt leadership, the type of leadership or the style of leadership you face was hindering either you or other people? Um, Was that kind of the catalyst to really focusing Mm. on leadership and what we could do better?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had just had a conversation about this with another person the other day that our experiences shake our passion and our drive you know i had um quite a two different types of leaders in my early days in my career one was very transactional uh you don't feel the connection at all you don't feel included and it's purely an exercise where we each get our jobs done and we go home there's no relationship right and those five years I was reporting to this manager, I did not grow much. I, it was kind of like you don't have f- feedback. You have no one looking at you and giving you feedback, telling you that truth, right? So that you can improve. And mm. without feedback, quality feedback, you cannot grow. But if I, a five, a, a, after five years, I moved to another manager and only six months, but that six months I grew so much more. Compared to the five years prior. And the only difference is he would frequently engage me in conversations. It's like a, almost like a alternate day exercise where we talk about ideas. And he would ask the coaching questions. And I would think, of course, I was young, ignorant, and a bit arrogant at that time. But those questions helped me think better. Yeah. And in a six months, it was way better than the five years prior. So with this contrast in the experience and the level of growth, right? We, I mean, we will grow old physically, but do we grow more mature mentally and professionally? It depends on the leaders that we have. So that got me um, started in this passion in elevating leaders around the world.
1: You talk about arrogance there, and I think sometimes high confidence and or high self confidence and arrogance sometimes get misinterpreted or get blurred the the lines blur between what they really were. so so when you were talking about you know your somewhat arrogance there, what well, what was showing up for you at those times?
0: Behind arrogance was the fear fear of failure
1: hmm. you
0: know it's it's a facade. it's a false front to protect that. Soft inside. So it like, okay, the metaphor is really a, a crap. Your hard and fierce on the outside, but inside you're all soft and vulnerable. I didn't want people to see the vulnerable side. Mm. Yeah. And I constantly had to prove my worth by being number one among yeah. my peers, among the, 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 the competition, you know, so that wasn't helpful. Uh, Actually, that was the reason why I had my first crucible moment as a leader where I I failed at an interview to be promoted. There was a promotion interview. And the panel asked me to take a few more years. I think I mean they are really wise. And of course, that challenge that I, I really confronted, I was confronted because I thought if I'm if I've studied so hard, I did so well in school, I did everything right. What am I not promoted? <laughs> and those things are the ones that kickstarted my personal development journey, that gradually transformed me into the person who I am today.
1: Hmm, I love it. I love it. Now you've written about the eight paradoxes of leadership agility, and uh, I I love I, I love when people talk about you know agility and change and things like that. Um, But how do we balance in a way the agility um and the speed we need to move at versus kind of performance
0: Mm. Mm. how do you balance performance and the speed yeah yeah um it's all depending on the context right i think let's say for example one of the paradoxes in my book one of the most common ones, tasks versus people. Do you focus on the outcome? The task, getting the task done? Or do you focus on the people's experience as they are performing the task, right? Uh, in times of crisis, you might have to choose task first because it is to put out the fire first and life goes on, right? Mm-hmm. But in most companies, I find that the challenge is people need, they neglect the importance of relationships. Because in times of change, a leader's currency for change is trust. And
1: yeah. if
0: we did not invest the time to focus on the people, to build a relationship, then when disruption happens, we we like the currency to demand that kind of change rapidly. And then they can perform. One one thing I always remind my the leaders I support: you are just one person. We cannot achieve anything if we are alone. We have to learn to enlist other people into our course, our mission, and to do that, we have we might have to choose to slow down. Right. So I I I when I look at things like speed versus performance. A lot of leaders can do with more patience because yeah. in their hurry to get to the end state, they compromise things and they may lose a relationship that they can never repair.
1: Yeah, okay. I, I like that. I think that's good when you when you talk about people. You know, we when we kinda look at change agility and change adaptability, you know, one is being open to change, that adaptability versus kind of the agility of as our ability to be able to change direction at speed or that capacity to quickly change direction. Why, why is it important for leaders to approach their leadership with an agile mindset?
0: Accenture uh, recently released a report dis- measuring the amount of disruption. Right right now, it's 400% more than the previous five years. So, the level of disruption is a reality. We need exponential changes. For companies, it's about longevity. Can they remain relevant to the consumer yeah. so that they can be in business, right? So, for, for leaders then, the Agile mindset is important because one used to be successful, might not help them continue to be successful. Like Marshall Goldsmith has this very famous uh, quote, what got you here can't get you there. So right now, if you look at the workforce, with four to five generations in the workplace, Gen Zs are coming in to change the game significantly. If the leaders are unable to engage the workforce, then whatever great initiatives, whatever great strategies you conceive in the boardroom cannot be implemented. So the Agile mindset is very important. I think it's not just about the work per se. It's about our way of relating and connecting with people to motivate them so that they are willing to be part of your team and work towards getting the high performance.
1: You're opening up all sorts of conversations in my head right now. I'm just trying to decide which ones to go down (laughs) here. I'm going to leave generations. I'm going to come back to that because i think it's important to discuss that but when it comes to performance right this is what i've noticed all around the world yes we can be agile and we can change direction quickly we need to be relevant 100 percent sure that's so important but what is consistent with high performance is that they do the foundations really really well so how do we balance ensuring that we are able to continually hone the fundamentals the foundations of great business but also having that agile mindset as well. Like we, I don't think you can have one or the other. You, if you stay with just the fundamentals, you are likely to be irrelevant pretty fast. But if you are changing quickly and you're agile and you're moving all the time, without those fundamentals, you get stuck. So how do we balance those two components to ensure that we can provide stability and flexibility at the same time?
0: Yeah, yeah. So there's a quote in my book, Busyness is not productivity. (laughs) Okay? We must not confuse busyness with productivity. So in this era, we have to learn rapidly. We have to learn constantly. But the most of the time, most people don't have time. Let me say that again. Most of the time, people can't find time to learn. Right? People can't find time to learn. So if they don't learn, they don't practice... They are not going to be relevant. So there's the flexibility involved because at the moment in time, when you know that you have limited time on your hands, right, everybody has limited time, which one are you going to invest your resources into and learn it fast, learn it well? You have to be watching the trends. I think the worst thing is to embark on a journey where you learn something, you pick up a skill and then immediately when you come out of it, it's obsolete once again so it is um it is a two-way you know process where i'm watching what is happening in the market the trends what are the up-and-coming sectors skills that are very required in the future of work and what are my interests what are my passion what am i able to maximize my rewards in so it's that two-way observation which i feel is also very important because everybody has limited amount of time.
1: you yeah, we certainly do have a limited amount of time. I was actually discussing with a colleague earlier today around that AI is replacing people's jobs and I and people were up in arms around it, right? So they're up in arms because artificial intelligence is replacing their jobs. Well <laughs> if you're agile and you're smart. You'll be looking at your job and going, "Can this re- be replaced by technology?" And if it can, I would be looking very quickly to how yeah. could I position myself either in that company or in another company, and go, "Here's what I can do yes. that, a te- that that technology can't, that artificial intelligence can't, or yeah. how can I support that?" So those skill sets to change, we're, we're probably going to need to change from a more macro perspective in mm. some people's jobs more regularly now than what we used to. That is yes. that is 100% true. Yes. Um, but we've all got time. I, I think we still have time. I think people just make <laughs> a choice to uh, spend their time differently. I, I don't think anyone's yeah. working any harder than what we ever have. I, I think
0: I, you're working too hard. We are working way too hard. Do you
1: reckon we're working harder than we have? have? Look,
0: I, I grew up, so. my dad
1: worked 13 hours a day, seven days a week for... Uh, until you retired at forty five right he he worked hard and um, and I saw a lot of people working hard i i don't know i don't know if people are working harder now or they are just being busier and i actually, i don't know if they're working harder i think there's still people are still out there they've always worked long hours some people some yeah. some people have always worked short hours and and made shortcuts I, I don't know if it's changed i'm not sure
0: oh I think there's the Quality, you know, whether we have mind space to process all the information, uh, we may work shorter hours in some sectors, but the complexity of the job has increased many many folds, right? Uh, the level of collaboration required, and uh, learn and learn, unlearn and relearn, is also always there. I find the people that I work with, oftentimes they are just running from one pit stop to the next without time for rest, consolidation, reflection, which that impedes their performance in the long run. Yeah, so the mental load is real. That's what I'm noticing.
1: Is it Netflix? Is Netflix the mental load? Like <laughs> and, and is social media the mental load? Because... Because when were we were when we were younger, right, we had less distractions. Like, yeah, true. We had less distractions. So yes, we like. I don't think we worked any longer now. Yeah. I don't think we work any longer now. I don't think. Yeah, in some jobs it might be a little bit more complex than it was, but there was always a lot of complexities in what we were doing. Mm. I just think we're keeping our minds busier outside where, where of work in those breaks, I think maybe that's the issue. Maybe because everyone stopped smoking and and stopped having smoko breaks (laughs) that we've caused an issue in this world, and that is people just keep working.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, social media is a real issue, right? Like, if you talk about people with high fear of failure or feeling like an imposter, and then we look at some influencer on social media, look so perfect, perfect face, perfect life, perfect everything. Then in comparison, we will feel a lot of pressure. We will want to work even harder. We will do a lot of different things just to be more perfect. I think that adds on to part of the equation as well. I mean, okay, growing up, my family, we had the culture of comparing grades, comparing grades, so come examination time, I'm always not the first, my other cousin was always the smartest one in the family. And it became a very stressful period in my life for many years. And look at what is happening today. If everyone, after all, is scrolling on social media, they might be measuring themselves, right, unconsciously. And I think that increases the stress level as well, trying to be perfect.
1: Interesting comparison there, because one is a little bit more finite. One is... Okay, I know my grades. I can compare myself to someone else versus social media where it's very perception based.
0: Very, very.
1: Um, so we've got comparisonitis in a performance based environment, and we've got comparisonitis in a fake environment in a way. Because <laughs> yeah. what they're comparing to is quite often fake. Yeah. Um, but you're yeah, really different, d- really different realities in a way, how we. Put so much pressure on ourselves to try and be something um that is different to who we are in yeah. many cases and yeah. we have such a blurred view of who we are and yeah. and our capabilities sometimes
0: that's true that's true we spend a lot of time looking outwards but we actually need to spend more time looking inwards you know like when i work with the leaders so many of them when they talk about work alone, work, 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 their whole world is filled up with work. And I will ask them, what are you doing to take care of yourself? What makes your soul sing? What, what are your hobbies? And they have no idea. What's their hobby? They've lost touch completely. You know, so there is too much looking outwards and too little looking inwards and appreciating our own God-given strengths. Like my my moments, when I told you when I was young, running around in the playground, I had no ambition. I was saying, I mean, I wanted to be a dentist, but that was like a lofty dream, really, really far away, killed very quickly. But when I became an adult and I worked with a strengths coach, that was when I started looking inwards. My first, I failed in that in that interview. Next, appreciating my own strengths that I am unique. I am different from everyone else. And that's great. Instead of I'm different from everybody else and that's terrible. So that's great. And when we stand and embrace our full element, then we can be the best that we can be. And so many leaders today, people today don't have that kind of moments enough.
1: Hmm. Uh, just a quick caveat. No, I don't support Smoko Breaks. Just for those who have a bit of a open loop there around something I said earlier. Um <laughs> But one thing that's sitting in my mind is resilience, right? There's yeah. this massive talk, resilient. We need to be more resilient people. We need to work on our resilience. But if we think about it, we're putting ourselves in uncomfortable positions and we're challenging ourselves all the time. Why aren't we stronger at resilience when we are, are, are putting ourselves under so much pressure all the time? Yeah. And, you know, we, we look at social media. We, we put ourselves, we compare ourselves with our marks. like so Like what has happened in this world where we have to have a greater focus on resilience when I I kind of feel like we're challenging ourselves more and testing ourselves more in different ways than what we ever have.
0: Yeah. So, you know, when I embarked on my doctorate studies, the topic I want to research is about fear of failure. And this is exactly what you are talking about. Why do high performers still suffer from imposter thoughts? Why do they still fear failure? You know, and when anything goes wrong, they crumble because they have never ever failed before. Right? So there's all this talk about resilience. Whether they are high performers, low performers, very likely they have the same issue. It's just that the high performers have found a way, a formula to minimize chances of failure. But in their heart, they have not embrace the truth that failure is part of any equation right of any learning experience we have to it it, it is it doesn't reflect you are bad you know it just reflects that the approach to the learning is incorrect and hence informs you Mm. to do things in a different way and that's the truth that is the truth people need to embrace in order to increase their resilience
1: yeah, good. Good. I love that. I love that ability to learn and you know, I think that's so important. With when we when we think about real high performing people, you know, we're talking imposter syndromes kind of come up, imposter thoughts has been talked about here, that fear of failure, etc. What I have noticed in some of the research and, and obviously working mm. with some, you know, high performing athletes and coaches and leaders along the way what? is that the real top performers are have higher self confidence in other people but also higher insecurity than the mo- than the general population so they have high self confidence really high insecurity and that's and the insecurity puts that drive into people so for those out there you know like my feeling too is is that if you if you a little bit unsure about yourself you're feeling insecure that's okay because you know what Use it, use it in a way to drive you forward, not to hold you back. And I think that is the key. If we can help people understand that, that everyone's going to be insecure, Mm -hmm. but you've got to turn it, you've got to, you've got to change the narrative on it. And I know you love talking about narrative, change the narrative on it to rather than that, that fear of something, turning it around into ability to drive you forward to, to, um, figure stuff out to learn, as you said, I think is so important.
0: Yeah, so important. yeah. And the environment, you know, the do you have safety to fail? Um, many, many environments do not yeah. make it safe, right? It's not safe. You, you will get spotlighted in a bad way. <laughs> so it makes it very difficult to overcome. But you'd be surprised, even the most high-performing people, like you said, has high insecurities. So that's cure, that's hope for all of us. <laughs> Somebody told me this, you know, what's most personal is most universal. Mm. So in sometimes when we feel like we are the only one suffering from thoughts like that, that diminishes our drive or our performance, take comfort that there are many, many people who feel the same.
1: Yeah. Okay, good, good, good. <laughs> all right, so... I have a bit of fun here, because you talk about paradoxes, right? So we're going to have a bit of fun here. I'm going to talk about filters. Uh All right. So we're going to have a look at some lenses here on different things. So we have a lot of talk in the world about authenticity, vulnerability, the importance of those, the importance of agility, the importance of openness. So I'm going to pose some filters for you. One is accountability and ownership are the filter to openness, which is psychological safety, obviously, and agility. accountability and ownership are the filter to openness and agility. When you hear that, what do you think? What comes to to mind?
0: Uh, Say that one one more time. Accountability and ownership is the filter, are the filters? To
1: to openness and agility.
0: And agility. Uh, The first one, yes, I agree openness because if I am let's say I make a mistake and I'm willing to take ownership and be accountable for the mistake I made, it will make me very open to being confronted or being flagged out. Mm. For agility, in my work, my definition of agility includes some level of authenticity, right? There's the looking inwards, knowing what you are truly capable of And I think if I reason it out this way, yeah, it makes sense. Because if I have accountability and ownership, I am very aware of my limits as well. And I'm not going to beat myself up for that, right? Mm. But in fact, I'm going going to take the smarter route by choosing an area where I can really excel, right? So that's where the agility is. Because if I say I'm going to pivot, I can pivot in so many directions. The one you choose has to be the one that is aligned with your strengths because you want to be accountable, right? You want to know where your limits are and you own up to it. Then you choose the right one for yourself. Mm. Yeah.
1: That's good. That's good. Good one. Yeah, I, I like that. I like how you respond to it. You know, for me, inside an organization, if you have, if you create openness for people to to feel safe, to play, to try things without fear of failure or fear of someone um, questioning you or berating you in a way, um, but also that agility to change direction. You've still got to have your own ownership of it. If you don't, yeah. if you're not accountable to the actions you take and have ownership over the work that you do or the way that you change, then. Then it will, f- then it potentially can go quite loose. It, it really? can fail in a way. Yeah. Because you can create this, uh, like a place of chaos in a way, like a very loose chaos that kind of loses its way. And then it's very difficult to maintain a sense of culture and potentially uh, positive productivity.
0: Yeah. 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 For sure. For sure. For cultures, I mean, for companies building culture, we must build a culture that, can withstand conflict. Uh, Because with disruption, with innovation, with change, you definitely will have conflict, right? In my side of the world, people are conflict-averse. They don't want to speak the truth. They don't want to own up and and say what they really feel. They don't want to share their real emotion and the real opinions. And then the whole communication becomes so evasive and you don't get any good outcome at all.
1: In my experience, most companies fail because they are risk adverse and because they are also conflict adverse.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree.
1: And so we have so much in this world right now about having harmony. And um, quite often we hear of care, but I'm not sure care is always positioned in the right way because care is just not about making you feel good. Care is about making sure you are held accountable. It is okay. making sure that um, that you are able to have those those yeah. conversations at the right time. Yes, so I think I think it's important. All right, second filter, second filter here: uh, integrity and responsibility are the filter to authenticity and vulnerability.
0: Integrity and responsibility
1: are the filter to authenticity and vulnerability?
0: Uh, wow, this is the hard one. <laughs> okay. Integrity and responsibility are the filters of authenticity and vulnerability. Yep. Uh Integrity, yes. Like integrity and responsibility. Then the first one is?
1: Authenticity, authenticity. and
0: vulnerability. Okay. Uh, if I'm willing to be authentic, yeah, what will make me be willing to be authentic is if I am true to myself. I think that's the meaning of the integrity that you mean here, right? Where you are aligned, you are aligned. Uh, heart, head, heart, hands. You are aligned, right? And responsible to others, to the people in the ecosystem. So yes, the first one I agree. <laughs> authenticity, yes. Vulnerability, I agree, I agree. You know, when I taught leadership storytelling to a group of women in STEM, somebody asked me this question about vulnerability. You know, And I said, we must understand when we tell stories, there's an impact on the listeners. So are you going to be responsible for the impact when you share vulnerable stories or not? That's why you have to be choice. You choose carefully what kind of vulnerable stories you're going to share. And don't share your bleeding wounds, okay? Share your scars. Share what you have learned. It's your responsibility as a storyteller to make sure that people are, are transformed for the better because of your
1: story. I like it. I like it. It's good. I don't need to discuss that one anymore. I like the way you've approached it.
0: This is so difficult. I almost thought so I would bail.
1: Ah. <laughs> 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 All right, we're, we're seeing how you respond to that imposter thought kicking in.
0: Oh my god! Oh my god! I'm gonna fail. in. <laughs> Facebook.
1: <laughs> okay, you've got a new book coming out called Leaders People Love. Yeah. Um, I'd love to know what your what is your definition of a leader. I'm really curious.
0: A leader is someone who, someone that others want to follow and someone who makes others better than they were before.
1: No. Yeah. Uh, okay, good. Is there any reason that it, it's, if there's there any reason why we, it, it's it's okay just to like a leader rather than have to love a leader, right? Do, is is every instance we need to love the leader or can we just like them? Is it okay just to like them or just get along with them?
0: Well, I think it really depends. To me, like versus love, to me, love has a component of respect. Yeah. And that I feel is very important. Like I love working (laughs) with this person because I become a better person. I love the environment. I love... Going to work. So that's why I chose love instead of like. Like, I feel is a very on the fence kind of feeling. Right? Mm. Like, you can imagine somebody going to work. Yeah, I'm okay. I'm okay going to work. I like it enough, you know. And But, but, but what does that mean in terms of the drive? The giving your all, you know. I think the engagement is going to be very different And what does getting along mean? You know, getting along. Yep. As long as there are no conflicts. Right? Mm. It it feels that way. It feels like I'm in my little zone. You are in your little zone. Don't cross into my turf. (laughs) Then we won't get along. So it's a different dimension and a depth. The depth of the relationship is different. You know, I still remember my best bosses. I say that, call them bosses. My best leaders up to today. And it's a very simple mm, admiration for the person for what these people have done for me. Okay. Yeah, and uh, why I why I respect and love working with them so much is because simply because one was because he made me think better and do my work better. I became a better professional, right? That I can um, claim that I am indeed maybe top of the class. Okay. The hmm. other one, he, he challenged my thinking too, but he respected our decision. So whatever we did, there was one time we didn't make a mistake. We, we were overconfident. We made a mistake. I say we because yeah. we had a, this, this team. But he took the blame. He apologized on, the, on behalf of all of us. Yeah, he had our backs. He did not throw, throw us under the bus. Yeah. Which was very important. So I, I would use the word love because I would say I love going to this event. I love working with, you know, with you and with some other colleagues. Very different from like, I feel.
1: Yeah, I think the difference is you talked about respect. I, I think probably to me, the key difference is care. Yeah. You can feel you know. the care.
0: Yeah, I I am very relational.
1: Hmm.
0: I am also very passionate in the things I like and in the things I dislike. Both ways. Uh. So emotions that are my is a part of me. yeah, so I need to be with leaders who I love working with and working for.
1: You know what's really interesting? Uh, in my opinion, my dad was very, very is a very, very good leader, um, has done an exceptional job in the sporting world and leading communities and things like that. But I can tell you the one word which I don't think is in my dad's vernacular, in his dictionary, in his brain, whatsoever is the word love. You'll feel it, but I have never heard him say the word love. (laughs) Anyway, it doesn't affect me. It's not something I worry about because I can feel it. I don't need him to say it. But I just thought it was interesting. I'm just like, I don't think my dad's ever said the word. But
0: love includes tough love. Right? It's not tough
1: tough love. He just doesn't say love. It's just just the word's not there. It doesn't mean he doesn't feel (laughs) it and share it in, in his own way. It just... Yeah. Anyway, Correct. we digress. <laughs> um, the we we've seen a shift, and you know, obviously the words you know, and and based off this a little bit as well, the words that people are comfortable in saying, the way we describe certain situations, what we want from a community, and and work is a community in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, it has shifted a lot, has shifted a lot. Even, even the last, you know, four or five years, it shifted a lot. Like when I think back to, you know, the early 2010s, what we're seeing and hearing and think and, and people are talking about now is very different. It's, it's like the words that are used a lot and they're not always described this way is to create a sense of harmony is is that what you mean? And I'm and I'm, and I'm not predisposing anything here, but is that kind of where we're going with leaders? People love, or is harmony not something like it? It is not kind of the center of what it means to be a leader that people love.
0: Well, It is not, and uh, it is, and it is not. Hmm, that's a tough question. I okay, personally, I do not believe in. False harmony right I would rather I will always always embrace direct communication <laughs> always right so then the manner in which I unpack this in the book is build a trustworthy brand right you must have trust as a currency because you need it to demand change right and what will disrupt the harmony? is when people don't trust you, when people misunderstand you. So, I did not put harmony as the center, but I put trust at the center. Trust and empathy. These two. Mm. At the center. Because if you look at the causes of disharmony, it's very often difference in opinion, not understanding each other, not accepting that there are differences which can all be addressed if there's adequate trust and empathy. So, is, harmony will be a natural byproduct.
1: Yeah. Is unity a better way to approach leadership versus harmony? Because uh, I think I think when okay. we talk about... Because harmony is everyone kind of living on... <laughs> when I think of harmony, right? I'm thinking of everyone's... um, Everyone's on this little happy land, smoking a few things yeah. and just kind of <laughs> chilling out. But... That unity is where people are connect,ed even though they may have different yeah. opinions, different perspectives. Because we talk about diversity, right? So, yeah, how can we have harmony when we have diversity? Is yeah. a big question. How can we have they, harmony they, when there's diversity? So, is unity the centralizing thing for great leadership in communities and teams and workplaces?
0: I would. Uh, okay, there was one chapter in my book where I intentionally I included. It is okay if people feel like they don't want to be part of a group. Let yes. them go. Yes. Said, let them go. Yay. But you have to be truthful to tell them what they are signing up for. And let them choose. Right? So those who are willing to choose and commit, they will be part of your group. Okay. And those who choose to go, it's fine. It's fine. So the word for me is not unity, I would choose commitment, you know. So I think a few core things, trust, empathy, honesty and commitment and excellence. Oh, I, I'm, I'm a higher achiever. I'm like, I can't <laughs> let go of excellence.
1: <laughs> <laughs> if I asked you to rank those in order, how would you feel? No, it's going to get...
0: Wow. Okay. <laughs> empathy first. With empathy, then there's trust.
1: Okay. All right. All right. Okay. I have a love hate relationship with empathy <laughs> because I see it cripple people. I, I see empathy very cripple very people. I see them hold on to the feelings of what other people are going through or what they perceive other people are going through. They see something, they sense something, and they feel something. It's not always aligned to sometimes. So,
0: yeah. Yeah.
1: Empathy is I feel something. This is my understanding of empathy, right? So,
0: okay.
1: um, empathy is I feel something. Compassion is I feel something, and I'm gonna and I'm I'm there to help you, right? I'm willing to lend a hand.
0: Okay.
1: So, and, and I hear a lot of people talking about we need more empathetic leaders. I'm not so sure because empathy can cripple a leader, right? But compassion can help a leader, and it can help the other mm-hmm. person. So, should we be focused on people being more compassionate, more empathetic? Now, this is just my understanding of it. So, I'm sure other people have different views on this. Yeah, yeah. But I'm curious to hear your your thoughts on this.
0: Right. So, I would... Okay, because my definition of empathy is different. And uh, based on what I'm seeing from workplaces, I can understand why people say we need more empathetic leaders. Because oftentimes, people from the ground would go to the senior leaders and say, look, we have this problem. And they will say, I know, I know. Sounds like an empathetic statement. But then next statement is, but we have to do this. But I'm sure you can do it. But we have no choice. So it sounds like dismissive, right? It's a dismissive statement, which Mm -hmm. then makes them look unempathetic. So when I choose empathy first, I would choose empathy over compassion because compassion would sometimes be too forgiving. Right? Uh, I used to be an educator. There was this saying in some years of my career where we say, discipline is tough love. I when we say discipline is simply creating the conditions for learning. Which means sometimes we have to do something that we don't like to do. But it is great for you. At the end of the day. So I chose empathy because I, I think about it in a strategic way. If I can understand what makes somebody else tick, I can understand their feeling. Then I will be able to bring them along a the journey and persuade them to join my course. And if they don't, it's fine. So that's where I yeah. feel the empathy is needed uh, to look at things from another person's shoes. Okay, in Storytelling, I say this as an audience-centric communication. I'm not saying what I want to say. I'm saying what others need to hear. But before I can decide what others need to hear, I must know what they're thinking about first. So that's where empathy comes in.
1: Interesting. You're talking about walking in other people's shoes. And I hear people say the same, but how can you walk in someone else's shoes when you're not walking in those shoes, right? Yeah. It's a perception of what you think they're going through. It's still not always the reality of what they're going through.
0: Correct. 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 So we can never, never fully ever understand. We, We think we know, but we don't actually know. right? We can only be very observant to see their response. As we engage with them to know whether we are in the right track on the right track.
1: All right. What is it? What is the, what are we what's required in 2024? So coming up to 2024. What's required in 2024 to create a great workplace and happy employees? Because we've seen massive disruption of what workplace culture or sorry, the the way I'm gonna rephrase that. We've seen massive disruption in the way we work. And, the, and it's opened up people's eyes to more ways we can work. People have always worked in different ways, but it's opened up more people's eyes. To me, there's more disruption to come. I think this is still the most unstable place when it comes to looking at what a workplace culture is. And it's going to take a couple more years to kind of find our way through that. But but for you, what do leaders need to understand to create great workplaces and happy employees in 2024?
0: Hey. I think a couple of uh, two things. One is understand there is a purpose gap, right? McKinsey published a report saying that the purpose gap between senior leaders and people on the ground is huge, right? Which means senior leaders are generally happier, right? When I wrote the book, I developed a survey, which hinted at the same thing. If we rate a happiness level, the happiest are the senior managers followed by individual contributors, then junior managers, and lastly, the middle managers. So the purpose scam is real because senior managers are always feeling that they can see a direct impact of their work on the mission, right? So they are happy. But mm. they need to understand that the landscape is changing. So that brings the second point. They need to truly, truly understand each generation or each person, each person. I think a person is not a generation, right? We can say there are some many, many studies about the attributes of various generations, but be careful not to generalize, right? Truly understand the individuals you are leading because people really don't care about how much you know until they know how much you care, right? This is a quote from John Maxwell. So get down to the ground understand each person, truly listen, truly listen. I was having this uh, conversation with another person and we were laughing, you know, like, why is it that we have lost the ability to listen? Why? We have so much um, blabbering happening in the workplaces? People who are the loudest, the most vocal are seen as the most outstanding. And we have forgotten how to listen. I really cannot imagine going to a course where I'm going to teach you how to listen. That's so strange. So listen more. Listen more. Understand that the purpose gap is real. That even if you are very happy in your work, it doesn't mean that everybody else is. Walk in their shoes as much as you can. Listen and empathize. Then you can create a workplace that people want.
1: Oh, your answers spark so many things in my brain. It's great. Um, I'm going to come back. Why the senior leads are happy is it because they're getting paid more? Because they're certainly got to have a lot more stress, and they're generally not working on the job anyway. So they're literally they're more stressed, but they're not actually physically doing the job because everyone else is doing it. Is it the money? Are they happy because of the money? It's not. I don't. You you still think it's purpose.
0: I think it is the mode of being more proactive. They are not reactive. I find yeah. people lower down in the hierarchy, very reactive. Yeah. And they don't always understand why they are doing certain things. They don't understand. So there is also a communication gap. If you look at the 100%. purpose gap. Yeah? yeah, It means that, well, when the strategy is decided in the boardroom or in the ex-co room, The senior leaders are all on board right but the way in which they communicate the vision and the reasons to the middle layer and believe that is it's not working people are just running around and when when things happen on the ground they are unable to react because they don't know they don't have full picture so communication is a problem as well
1: Interesting. I can keep going deeper on this. I just want to touch on generations quickly, and I'm glad you started talking about the individual because in a world which is trying to remove bias, in a world that's trying to remove labels, people people seek more bias and more labels, right? We want to be positioning ourselves in generations, and I'm, I'm still listening to a whole lot of emerging leaders the other day talking about what generations... You know things about generation about their generation and that the older people don't understand i'm like do you realize it's been like that forever (laughs) it hasn't changed um and what you want we also want as well you don't understand that we've just got a few more experiences so we also may want some other things and so i I always find it fascinating um that people start talking about generations I i don't know if you know this but back in the 2000s people were charging Consultants were charging 30,000 to 50,000 US dollars a day to teach companies about generations.
0: Oh, wow. So this is the evergreen field because after the Gen Z, there's another generation coming. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we're just living. And, and by the way, if you, you know, I will use Generation Z for whatever. Do you know that the generation before that or, or the category before that created you? So we actually created the space you live in and the reason why you think that way. <laughs> Ooh, so, so it's all connected. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So um, finishing off on Leaders People Love, I, I know inside there you talk about five inner voices. You talk about the captain, the developer, the visionary, the st- strategist, and the agilist. Tell us a little bit more about what the five inner voices are or, or why we have five inner voices and and how we can leverage these.
0: Sure, sure. So first, okay, take note is five inner voices, not outer voices. It has ah, to be from the I'm the, the captain.
1: So I can't say I'm the captain. Here, yeah, look at me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so the captain talks about knowing yourself so that you can know others, right? Don't talk about empathy if you don't even empathize with yourself, right? And you have a very strength lens, right? strength lens. So you talk about filters, lenses, The captain has a strength lens. It's a master at putting people in the right places so that people can excel. And same for the person himself. Developer is being able to guide and coach, mentor, or even facilitate such that others become better than they were before, right? So earlier you asked me my definition of a leaders people love. I am a big fan of learning, so I love leaders who help me learn better. Right. There was an HBR article recently that talked about great leaders have to be great teachers. So every leader today needs to be a great teacher. We have to understand the un- level of understanding of each individual and give them the right support to bring them up to, to, to mark. right. We need to bring them to the right place with the right instruction, with the right guidance. And this is going to address the skills gap that many places are experiencing, right? Or the talent crunch. The third one, visionary, talks about the communication. How do you translate a strategy to the ground? How do you ensure everyone is on board, right? The reason why organizations are not able to pivot or innovate or change rapidly is because there's too much gaps in between everybody. So it's like, it's too scattered. We need a tightly knit community. It's like a bunch of ants, you know. I watched a documentary the other day. Ants forming a a bridge. And you can only do that when you are compact, right? So visionary is the one that's going to communicate in the right way. Be audience-centric. And my favorite is cut down meeting time. Cut down meeting time. Because too often, too much is said. But too little gets across. Resulting in... Generally a bloating in meeting hours, which is then eating into people's time and capacity to learn the fourth one strategy is focusing on where where things matters right instead of trying to do too many at one shot where can you place your so-called bet huh where can you place your bet to get the maximum return really breaking that concept that busyness is productivity because it is not, right? Yeah. If we are going to get very busy, if we are going to expend all our energy, we better make sure you get rewards at the end of it. So there was one chapter that I really love and it's titled, if you have only one match, lighting mattress. If you think you have unlimited matches, you will be frivolous, so careless in using it. But if you have only one left, you will be very, very careful what to invest your resources on, right? The next one, final one, Agilist, how do you set up a pattern for yourself to learn, unlearn, and relearn? My favorite quote from this book is from Kung Fu Panda. Have you watched the cartoon?
1: I have seen parts of it. I'm sure I'm going to get reacquainted with it shortly with a 10-month yeah. baby girl.
0: Yes, yes. So there's one part, there's a tortoise, okay? Uh, So the the master, his quote was, even masters have more to learn. Mm -hmm. So even when we are so high performing, we are so skillful, there's more to learn.
1: Very good. I love those five inner voices. But the question is, can we be all five?
0: We can, one at a time.
1: One at a time. So One at a time. We, we've like rather than changing hat, we've got to change our fa- no, change our mouth, <laughs> change our <laughs> voice, <laughs> change our tone.
0: <laughs> I think we be stakeholder centered, be, be audience centric, right? <laughs> at different times, we will need a different voice. Okay. Yeah.
1: Now I know you're a really curious person, a really curious person. Is there a, is there one thought? Is there one idea sitting in your mind at the moment? That no one asked you a question about, but you'd be curious to talk about. What is it? Do you have one?
0: Because
1: uh, you share a lot too, I know that. So maybe you don't yeah. have
0: one. That somebody has not asked me. Who? Yeah. Uh, no, I don't think so. Can I Can I say that I don't have
1: no, that's okay because I know you share a lot, <laughs> but I was just curious because it's kind yeah. of fun to dive into that if you haven't. But...
0: Yeah. Uh... Yeah, yeah, no, no, I don't. People ask me all sorts of strange questions sometimes <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I'm shocked. Oh, I've not thought of it myself.
1: <laughs> <laughs> all right, we we all know smart people have great answers, but the most successful people ask great questions. When was the last time you did something? for the first time?
0: Oh, recently. Wow. (laughs) After I decided to embark on my doctoral program, right? That's like the first time I'm doing research, right? This is the first time I'm doing research. I'm not done research in my earlier degree programs. So yes, this is something I'm doing for the first time. A lot of apprehension, but with the community, the classmates, the cohort, I think I can do it.
1: Mm. Good one. What is the one question that you would love to solve?
0: Hmm. I don't want people to feel like work is miserable, a source mm. of misery, right? So the one thing I want to solve is can we get rid of Monday Blues? Why are Monday Blues?
1: Well they're starting the four day I mean the four day work week's becoming um popular so so maybe just don't do Monday.
0: <laughs> then they will have Tuesday blues. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I mean, I I to me I you know it's really work. Okay, this one I, I learned from one of my coaches. She's very insightful and she said this my work is an expression of my spiritual path. <laughs> right? Whatever your religion is, if your work is a way for you to find your best self and to be of service to others. Do that. right? So the puzzle I want to solve is how can we make work great for everybody?
1: Very Every good. For you, what is an inspiring great leader? And who's a great example of this for you?
0: Mm, so my, the earlier, one of the... Uh, former managers I've had, right? The one who would challenge us in in our thinking. There's no harmony, okay? There is very little harmony in our relationship at that time because we will often argue about our ideas. I will argue and eventually, he will leave it to me to decide because he would trust that I have the judgment, I have the discernment to make the right call and when I did not, he did not blame me. There was zero blame, you know. So I think the most important quality of an inspiring great leader, ownership, accountability, don't blame others. This is very, very important. And in my work, this is something that people want so much, but it's in pretty short supply, I must say.
1: Mm. It's been a fascinating conversation. I'm sure people would love to learn more from you. So how can people learn more about what you do and what is the best way for people to connect with you?
0: Ah, Connect with me on LinkedIn. I am on LinkedIn very often. I'm wondering if I'm on social media too much, but I shall reflect on it. (laughs) The best way to connect with me is on LinkedIn and there's only one person called Chen, right? There's only one person. So... You'll 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 be able
1: to find me. Chun. it has been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today. We'll pop those links in the show notes. But I like I really loved your your openness to talk about, you know, when you were younger and that that kind of feeling of not being able to dream and kind of being set in this is the way you you are to approach life to I suppose breaking the rules, which you love doing, you love breaking the rules all the time, and thinking a little bit differently, and and challenging the way we do things, and questioning things to go, is there a better way? Is there a better approach to this? And I love the fact that you have an extremely curious mind. I, I love seeing your thoughts out in social media, and for anyone who hasn't seen yet, you must check out Chen Jin Chen's kind of daily. Thoughts as she goes along about her life and things pop up and she loves to talk about them, especially around leadership and the agile space, to so the way that you articulate things uh, in your book um, and the way you speak around leadership and your approaches to how we can be more effective leaders and create those uh, really beautiful places for people to work where they are happy, um, where they can... I suppose, connect to themselves and find it meaningful. And and hopefully we can get to a space in the future where a lot more people are really enjoying the work that they do. I I think it might be impossible to try and get everyone to love it. It, It'll be a good target. Uh, But I love what you're doing and thank you so much. And all the best with the launch of Leaders People Love. You can, for everyone out there, you can find it in all good bookstores online and I'm sure in person and if you're in Singapore and some of the bookstores there, Uh, but thank you for doing what you do and helping inspire people to be leaders that people love so thanks for great conversation thank you
0: great thank you thank you my book is going to be launched tomorrow
1: whoa (laughs) and for those who are listening online because you received this a little bit later that is december 5th it's going it's being launched um so you by the time you listen to this you you might even have a chance to check it out and maybe buy a you for christmas presents as well
0: awesome yes i really love that thank you so much
1: (laughs) it's time for you to join the inspiring great leaders movement by visiting craigjohns.com.au share this podcast on linkedin and be sure to hashtag inspiring great leaders we would love it if you could leave a review on apple Podcasts or spotify Drop us a line with your feedback and questions and connect with us on the Craig John's LinkedIn, Facebook and Instagram pages. Be sure to check out the next inspiring great leaders podcast where the ordinary don't belong.